0: Just want to make a, just a quick mention. This is our last sermon in this series called Hidden, and we've looked at the things that we often keep hidden inside of us. But now we're spending a couple weeks and learning and seeing how God responds even to our missiness that we give Him, and uh, He responds to us in grace. Now next week we're going to start a different sermon series. May sound a little daunting. It's called the blood covenant. Now, now this is something. We'll explain this more in the next uh, few weeks. But this is something that God used to make covenant with His people. And uh, I would pray that you would see this all the way from the Old Testament days up until modern day today. That God is still in the business of making covenants with His people, and He's making one with you. And so we're going to spend about four weeks looking at what this meant and what this Old Testament covenant, what in the world would that have to have to do with us today? So we're going to start that next week. And I hope that you uh, can join us. A little story this morning. Carol's mom uh, had a large number of friends. Rose was already a prime timer by the time I met her in the late 90s. And uh, her and her friends would have these elaborate luncheons together and they enjoyed spending time with one another. And every so often Rose on a Saturday morning would wake up early and she would get breakfast foods ready and put the spread out in in the house and make the house look fantastic and set the table. But then she would get into her car and she'd just show up at one of her friend's houses. And the rule was that no matter what you were wearing, no matter how much makeup you had on, whether or not your hair was even brushed, you were supposed to go with Rose, and she would then take you to another friend's house, and you would pick up them, and you'd pick up somebody else. And when the, when the uh, car was full enough, they went back home, And went back to Rose's house and they would sit together and have breakfast. And so there they would be sitting around the breakfast table and they would laugh and eat and talk. And they always had a wonderful time. And the ladies there were in their curlers, their bathrobes, their slippers, and most of them had no makeup. Rose called these her come-as-you-are parties Most of her friends thought this was an amazing idea. They had a lot of fun. There were some friends that were absolutely freaked out by the whole idea that they would be shown in public with the way that they were. Others didn't think that they deserved Rose to go through so much trouble for them. Why in the world would she have done all this for them? Why in the world would they have a friend that... uh, What have they done to deserve a a friend doing all of this for them? To pick them up, to wait on them hand and foot. And, And I'm thinking about that and I know a lot of people like that. I don't deserve this. And I know people that say, well, I don't even deserve to have fun. Or I can't take a break unless the house is clean. I can't take a break unless the laundry is done or the carpet is vacuumed, or I'm not gonna spend money on myself uh, or uh, I just need to stay home. Or I don't deserve someone taking care of me. Uh, My husband offered to buy me coffee. I said, no, I'll just get it myself later. Or my daughter offered to buy me lunch, but I turned her down and I just paid for my own. hers. Do you see the pattern there? Oftentimes that's how we are. We usually have no problem buying somebody else something and serving someone else. But when it comes to being served, we think that we're not worthy of such treatment. I once had a conversation with a friend of mine that was lamenting that so-and-so brought over a meal to him when, when he was sick. And he said, I don't need that. Why would they do that for me? Don't they think that I can take care of myself? And my response was, your friend is serving you. Don't steal that blessing from them. And it may feel like we're, we're being humble to think that we don't deserve anything, but, but actually that is a very self-centered way to think about ourselves. And that's how it is with God's grace God has chosen to lavishly take care of you. He has decided to take care of His children. And often we meet Him with the notions that we don't deserve such grace. Guess what? You don't. You don't. And neither do I. Because it was my sin, it was all of your sin that was the reason why his son was crucified on the cross. But God, because of his love for you, his love for me, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. See, none of us deserve that grace of God, but that's what makes grace so special. So last week we ended with this uh, story about grace. Uh, Saul had been persecuting christians after the resurrection of jesus and during that initial spread of christianity this movement of jesus was starting to spread throughout the region and thousands were being saved and calling upon the name of christ and saul being a good jewish guy who had none of it saul was this religious leader at the time and he had been rounding up the converts In Jerusalem and he was having these Christians arrested and most likely they were beaten or they were flogged and some of them were even killed. And we find Saul and he's on his way to Damascus yet to round up some more Christians and all of a sudden this great flash from heaven and Saul fell to the ground and he experienced and heard Jesus for himself. The one he hadn't believed in decided to meet Saul on a dusty road to Damascus. The one that he actively campaigned against sought him out. The one that he had been persecuting uh, pursued him. The one that he had uh, tried to stop changed him, accepted him, and loved him. Now Saul was blinded in the exchange and he was taken to Damascus by the guys that he was traveling with. And for three days he didn't eat or drink. And life as he knew it, he had just found out was a lie. Everything he didn't believe in was now true. But now he knew Jesus is very, very real. And so for three days he was hiding in that house in Damascus. For three days he was probably grieving over his sins. For three days he probably would have been in fear of his own life, of being found out, of receiving the same punishment that he dished out. For three days Saul waited in that house waiting for what he deserved. But what he deserved never came. That is mercy. But we're talking about grace. So so what's the difference between mercy and grace? You can write this down in your notes. Mercy is not receiving that which you deserve. Saul deserved to be arrested. He deserved to be punished, jailed, or even executed for the things that he had done. Grace is receiving that which you don't deserve. Saul, who we also find out a little bit later, his name is also Paul, same person, went on to be one of the greatest of our missionaries. In three missionary journeys, he spread the good news about the saving grace of Jesus through this entire region of the world. And he wrote letters to his friends. He wrote letters to the churches that he had visited. And today two-thirds of our New Testament is written by Saul or Paul. The persecutor of Christians. The one that was shown mercy for not getting what he deserved. But the one that was also heaped on a whole bunch of grace. See, Paul did not deserve the gift. Paul didn't deserve the opportunity. He didn't deserve the privilege of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. He did not deserve his unmerited favor that God put upon his life. He did not earn the grace that God bestowed on him. And he wrote one of his letters to his mentee, uh, Timothy. I want you to read it with me. It's in your your, uh, handout there. It says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who had given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now, full disclosure, your notes goes on, goes on, but let me kind of tell you, uh, I write my sermon and then give Rachel Clark what she needs to put into your notes. And I highlighted my sermon for her on this next part. This next part is not actually in Scripture where it says, did you catch that? <laughs> Paul didn't say that. He could have. It would have been a good line, Paul, but... He didn't say that. So did you catch that? Even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy. Those are powerful words, aren't they? So I wonder what you could write. In fact, we gave you some space there. Maybe you could fill that in today. Even though I was once a and a, and a, I was shown mercy. What is your story? What what would God have you fill in in those blanks that even though once you were this and once you were that, that God still showed you mercy and didn't give you what you deserve. I'm sure that there were many times in the journeys of Paul, where he was sailing and where he was traveling around the various places, where he would just have these flashbacks of these moments in time where he was persecuting people, where he was his hatred towards other Christians, just like him now, a follower of Jesus. And I'm sure there are many times that he reminded himself of where he had come from and the mercy that God has shown him but paul also wrote these words the grace of our lord was poured on uh, was poured out on me abundantly now the the actual words that paul probably used if we translate them would sound more like the grace of our lord was more than abundant more than abundant in other words God's grace is hyper abundant. Not only was God's grace enough, but it was more than enough for him. It kept going. God's grace kept coming. It was never ending. It was beyond beyond increasing grace that never ran out in Paul's life. And Paul was writing to Timothy and he was telling Timothy, I need you to claim this promise, Timothy. This is your promise to claim. He said, Timothy, Christ Jesus came into this world to save, to save sinners of which I am the worst. And if Christ can do this in me, if grace can do this in me, then imagine what he is going to be able to do through you. And you can read in Paul's letters, all the letters to the churches, all the letters to his friends that are now in our New Testament. And he used that word grace over and over and over again. In fact, he mentions grace, that unmerited favor of the Lord, 170 times, 170 times. I remember growing up if mom told me to clean my room twice I knew I was in trouble. Right? But Paul repeats the same thing 170 times in his letters. And when Paul said grace, he was referring to himself as the worst of sinners. When Paul said grace, he was talking about this hyper abundant, ever increasing, never ending grace of God. When Paul referred to the word grace, he was referring to Christ coming into the world, leaving heaven so he could save it. And Paul said grace, he was thinking about what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. And every time Paul used that word grace, he was remembering the patience that Christ had shown him throughout his entire life. Paul wrote about the grace that transformed him to become a whole, a holy, a healed and spiritually healthy man. And it was only grace that could give him peace from his past. It was only grace that could give Paul peace from those potholes in his life and the damage that his sinkholes had caused. And it is only grace It is only God's unmerited favor on you that can do that. Last week, we ended with that song with Submerge. And again, didn't they do an incredible job last week? It is so good for us. These words are familiar to us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I can see. See, Paul could have wrote those words, right? He could have wrote that exact same thing. I once was lost. I didn't know what I was doing. I was persecuting all these Christians. I had no clue that Jesus was actually real. And when I found him, I was blind. I could not see. But when I realized what God was doing in my life, those scales fell from my eyes and I could see. I once was blind, but now I see. And I wonder, could you write those same words? I once was, but now I'm, what's your story? What has God already done in your life? It was grace that brought you beyond what the world has categorized you as. See, the world will look at you and categorize you by your past, your sin, and it is grace, the grace of God who says, I know who you were, but I also know who you are, and I know who you are to become. It is grace that says, just grab my hand. Let's just go on this journey together. I want you to find out just how much I love you and how much I want you to become like me. That's the grace of God. And so what do we do with this grace? There's another letter that Paul writes to, to Timothy and he writes these words. He says, you then my son be strong in the grace that is Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier is entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. There's one phrase in that that I want us to concentrate on this morning where Paul tells Timothy be strong in the grace. See at first glance it seems like Paul is is telling Timothy just to hold on tight. Cling to God's goodness. Cling to His grace. But Paul and Timothy would have understood that this phrase that he uses is actually rooted deep in the Old Testament. A story of another young leader many, many hundreds of years before named Joshua. See Joshua was Moses' Right hand. He was his aide during the time when the Israelites were wandering around through the wilderness. And Moses, if you remember the stories, was a guy that had rescued the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt, where he had uh, he was leading the all of the Israelites, maybe even two million people, out of Egypt. And remember the story: he parted the Red Sea. And all of them walked on dry land and away from the Egyptian Pharaoh. God was directing his people, all of his people to this new land, a promised land. And after they wandered through the desert northeast of Egypt, they eventually reached the borders of the land that God had brought them to, the promised land. It was a wonderful land. It was a lush and a green land, so much different than where they had been. And God told Moses, I want you to send out a man, one from each tribe of Israel, all twelve. And they want I want them to go and spy on the land and just see how wonderful this land is. And you can read this story, it's in the Old Testament book of, of Numbers. Numbers is the fourth book in in the Old Testament. So, Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 13 is where we're at. So, one of the men that Moses sent out was named Caleb, and the other was Joshua. Moses assembles all of these guys, and he tells them, go up through the Negev on into the hill country and see the land, see what the land is like, and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Are there unwalled? Are their cities unwalled or fortified? How is the soil fertile or poor? Are there trees in it? And not. And then he adds this, I think it's just a little strange, um, and do your best to bring me some fruit. Because he knew it was time for grapes. So, do all that and bring me a snack, I guess. I don't know. So, so the 12 spies went out and they returned with their report and they said, this land is amazing. You're not going to believe it. This truly is a land flowing with milk and honey and, and Moses, here's your snack, right? But here's also the problem. They said the people who live there are powerful The people who inhabit this land are huge. The cities are fortified and large. And the men became scared when they took their eyes off of the promise of God. And instead started looking what was before them through their human perspective. See they had forgotten what God had already done. They forgot, had forgotten the grace that God had already bestowed upon them, the many times that God had shown them unmerited favor, and have taken care of them already through this journey. He had delivered them out of slavery. He had parted an entire Red Sea for them to walk on dry land. He's providing food from heaven and water from a rock. And everyone forgot about God's grace except for Caleb and Joshua. They remembered the reason that God sent them to this area. And it was Caleb who spoke first and he said, we should go and take possession of of the land for we can certainly do it. And the Israelite people went nuts. They went crazy. They thought Caleb was nuts. They said, we can't attack these people. They're bigger than us. They're stronger than us. It would have just been better if God let us die back in Egypt. And so Caleb had spoken. The people had spoken and it was time for young Joshua to speak up or shut up. What's he going to do? Will he take the safe side of the tent or is he going to stand up and inspire his people to do something that only God could get them to do? And so Joshua says, the land we pass through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not afraid of them. Have you ever been in this spot? Have you ever been in this spot that that Joshua was in? You have the choice. It's now up to you. The spotlight has turned on you. It's time to either shut up or sit down. To speak up, step up. I bet all of you have had that experience. Something like that in your life. Maybe someone said something at school and you are faced with the, with the position of going against the crowd or facing the persecution. Are you going to absorb yourself into the crowd or are you going to stand alone and do what is right? Maybe you've been faced with that situation at work where there's an advancement or financial gains and you come to find out that there have been made in less than honorable ways. You have the choice stay, be part of this worldly success, or step away and say that kind of success is not worth it. That's not what God wants. God isn't going to bless that. It's hard, isn't it? We say, oh, if it were me, that would be such an easy decision. I will always follow God, I will always do what's right. But do we? Would we? See, I think it's much easier to follow those 10 than it would have been the two. And so the Israelite camp followed the 10 and they preferred to side with the doubters and God condemned them to wander around through the wilderness for 40 more years until that entire generation had died. And God still went with him. He still protected him. It was also a time of disappointment. It was a time of punishment. Forty years. All of the naysayers have died including Moses. And now in Moses' death leaves this leadership vacuum. What's going to happen now? Our leader is gone. See God knew that he has already shown Jacob grace. And he knew or Jake, Joshua grace. He knew Joshua was ready to take on this charge. And so he spoke to them, him. And Joshua, it says, as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous do not be afraid do not be discouraged for the lord your god will be with you for wherever you go in these four verses god repeats that phrase be strong and courageous 3 different times in hebrew this phrase is rock shazak Rock Shazak became the battle cry for the Israelites. I love a good battle cry, don't you? I love the movie Braveheart. Any guys with me there? All right. Braveheart William Wallace says, they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. At least uh, Mel Gibson says that in the movie. History says William Wallace never said that. But anyway, all right. It's a good battle cry nonetheless, all right? The Confederate Army had the rebel yell. Our Marines of today have their battle cry. Marines, what's your battle cry? There we go. I knew it wasn't gonna take long for our Marines to give us our, their battle cry, all right? Nothing's better than that good battle cry. What would happen if we faced our life with a battle cry from God? The same one that he gave Joshua before he was to go and take the land away from those giants. Rock Shazak. Rock Shazak. Rock Shazak. Be strong and courageous, friends. PFN, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. What would happen if we said that when we are unsure of ourselves or our abilities? See, Joshua had a choice. Step up or step aside. And he said in so many words, God, I'm not Moses, but I am Joshua. And you have already proven yourselves to me many times before. You have allowed me to do so many things for your kingdom already. And your grace, your unmerited favor has carried me through many trials in life. And this is my moment. And I will lead my people into the promised land. Now, let's fast forward many, many, many hundreds of years. And the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to his student named Timothy. And he says, Timothy, God has already proven himself to you. God has already proven himself to your ancestors. Look at all the things that God has already done. Be strong in the grace that is Christ Jesus. See, Paul knew that Timothy was going to face hardships in his life. Paul knew that Timothy was going to have many people come against him and discourage him. He knew that he was going to face a whole bunch of challenges. But Paul wanted Timothy to know here that God's grace has already, already been given to him. And he wanted Timothy to have that rock shazak strength, but he wanted that strength to be in grace. So be confident in the hyper abundant, ever increasing grace. He wanted Timothy to know that he could do anything with the strength of God. Paul was giving his young disciple a battle cry through that letter. Be strong, be courageous in grace. See, I know how to be strong. You do too, right? You and I are strong people. You and I have been through a lot in our lives. But I think if we left our strength just to ourselves, we're strong in the wrong ways. If you ask my family, I can be really strong in stubbornness. I can be strong in defensiveness. I can be strong in selfishness. I can be strong and fast to escape and not address what we've been talking about for a month. Those potholes, those triggers, those sinkholes that God has now revealed in my life. But being strong in grace is the strength and the knowledge that God sees beyond my imperfections. He sees beyond my mistakes and he sees beyond my sin. Strong in grace means I know that God has chosen me in spite of my past. Being strong in grace allows me then to be curious as to why those potholes were ever an issue in the first place. Why was I triggered? Why at times do I wear a mask and pretend I'm somebody who I'm not? Being strong in grace allows us to be more comfortable being uncomfortable. Being strong in grace allows me to say that even though I was once a... Or a, God had patience with me and God showed me grace. Be strong in grace allows us to say, I am not a product of my past, but I am a person, a promise. And you are part of God's design. You are part of God's plan. You are God's man. You are God's woman. And I am a Joshua waiting for a time such as this. And so are you. I may be wandering through the wilderness at times, but God still has a plan for my tomorrows. Right? That is grace. So what is God calling you? Where is he wanting you to go? What is he wanting you to become? Rock Shazak PFN. It's time to get to work. It's time to get busy. It's time to work in the grace and the favor that God has already shown us, has already given us. God is having a great big come as you are party with us, isn't he? He doesn't need you dressed up. God doesn't need you cleaned up. He just needs you to open up and to be willing and to be ready because he will take you with his grace, with this unmerited favor where he leads you to go. All you need to do is accept his favor, his grace, and his plan. So let's close in prayer with one another. Heavenly Father, you have brought us on this journey in the beginning of 2022 you have allowed us to see parts of ourselves we brought things up to the surface some of us have revealed or seen for the first time those potholes those sinkholes the masks that we wear the places that we try to hide or the short-term solutions that we do to just to avoid the real work and so lord you have met us though with your grace <laughs> Jesus, to know that you said, I, I already know about the pothole. I already see the sinkhole. I already know the damage that has been done. I see that scar. But if we were together, I can use it. And so, Lord, that's your grace. That's your grace upon us, your unmerited favor that even dis- in spite of our past, even in spite of the imperfectness and the missiness that we offer you today, that you say, I will still use you. Be strong and courageous because of my grace. So Lord, where are you calling us next as a church and as individuals? And Lord, this morning, I would ask that you would just speak very clearly to people here There are things that we need to do differently. There are things that we need to do in addition. Lord, I know that there are are many places just within this church that this group or those at home can step up and serve and to do. Lord, you are calling some next week as we start this election to be on our church board and our missionary board and our Sunday school and discipleship boards. You are calling leaders even as we speak. Lord, may they hear your words, Shazak. I need you to be strong and courageous because I'm calling you towards it. Lord, would you speak to all of us today? to bring us to a different level, to a new level. Lord, let us see what you've done already in the past and know, Lord, that that's a promise for our future. And Lord, it may not be easy to take that promised land, but we're gonna follow you and we're gonna do it. Could we have been created for a time such as this? Jesus, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for your challenge for your people. Thank you for speaking to us and using us. And it's in your name that we pray. And all of this church said together, amen. Amen. Rock Shazak Church, be strong and courageous. God has a plan for you. Follow it. Love you guys. Have an incredible day.